This is the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman. Brought to you by the Academy of Dental CPAs. Whether it's taxes, investing, or planning wisely, Art is your guide to make your dental practice as profitable as possible. Here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman, CPA. Welcome to the podcast. I'm very, very happy to have you listening to us today. We are today going to be talking about a a very, very important subject that affects everybody um, who owns or wants to own a home. And we're going to be talking to one of my dear, dear friends in uh, in my world, as I've told you, you're going to meet all my friends uh, down this journey. Uh, Roger Williamson is the owner of Kent Mortgage Company in um, Orange County, where I live, and I work with Roger a lot. Um, he's as good as it gets. And we're going to talk about helping you establish credit, helping you keep your credit good, and helping you to uh, get that dream home you want, or maybe refinance or buy a bigger home. So we're going to talk about all these things. But uh, I've got a little information for you before we get started. Um, if you wanted to get a hold of me in Tustin, Uh, At my CPA firm, I'm a partner at HMWC CPAs and Business Advisors. My number is 714-259-0505. If you wanted to send me an email, email me at artwiederman at gmail.com. And I've gotten some great emails from our listeners, which I've responded to. Um, If you wanted to look at all of our podcasts, you can go onto our website, which is www.hmwccpa.com. Go to the resources tab and then click on podcasts. And uh, I believe this one is number 56. I always get the numbers wrong. My producer gives me a bad time about this. No, this is 57, not 56. I think this is number 56 here with Roger. And you can look at all the different topics that we um, that we have. And folks, uh, I am a proud member of the Academy of Dental CPAs. I was one of the founding members um, of that organization, which is 24 CPA firms across the United States that represents about 9,000 dentists. So if you're looking for a dental-specific CPA, and i um, very excited, we're going to actually do an episode about why you should be working with a dental CPA down the road here a little bit, um, go on to our website which is www.adcpa.org. Click on the resources. To, I'm sorry, click on the map uh, in your area. And we have a member in your area. Again, 24 incredible CPA firms that represent over 9,000 dentists. So with that said, uh, I have uh, a tax tip today. Uh, of course, uh, we, we, we all hear that, that Congress and the White House are in gridlock um, all we hear about on the news is how things are not getting done. But the fact of the matter is, is business is being conducted in Washington. And on December the 19th of 19, of 2019, uh, late in 2019, Congress passed and President Trump signed the SECURE Act. Now, they have been working on this for uh, probably a year or two. And the intention of the act was to modify the retirement plan rules, uh, number one, to make it easier for companies to provide retirement benefits for uh, for their employees. Because, again, uh, a lot of the tax law exists in order to meet social goals. One of the things we're going to talk about today is home mortgages. Uh, that's what we are going to talk about today. And the reason you get to deduct home mortgage interest on your taxes is because Congress believed many, many years ago when they set up the tax code a little over 100 years ago that home mortgage, that owning a home is the American dream and it's something that all people uh, should strive for. And that's why they've made it a little easier to do that by making home mortgage interest deductible. So on December 19th, Congress passed the SECURE Act. And I'm going to talk about two small pieces of that act. Number one, if you inherit an individual retirement account under the old law, you would be able to take the money out of that retirement account over your life expectancy as the beneficiary. So if you left your um, uh, left your IRA to your 30-year-old son, 
I happen to have a 30-year-old son, so I just use that for an example. Um, he would be able to take that money out over his remaining life expectancy, which under the IRS rules is could be 50, 55, 60 years. They have changed that now so that you have to take that inherited IRA out over 10 years. So you might want to look at that. But here's the other thing that's really cool. Um, you are required to take required, you are required to take distributions from your IRAs or retirement plans once you reach age 70 and a half. You're actually required to take them no late, the first one no later than April 1 after the year you reach 70 and a half. But we always tell our clients to take them the year they reach 70 and a half because if they wait till April 1, they have to take two in that first year. Well, Congress changed the rule with the SECURE Act. So now you do not have to take your first required minimum distribution until you're 72. Now, that rule only kicks in if you were were, um, not 70 and a half on or before December 31, 2019. So if you had already turned 70 and a half, um, then you have to follow the old rules. Um, I have a client who's got probably... $6 $6 million in his retirement plan. And, and he, uh, he actually sold his practice in 2019. I was, he was kind enough to let me help him do it. And now in 2020, he's going to have to, he thought he was going to have to take his RMD. Well, he turned 70 and a half in January of 2020. So he can wait another two years and he's very happy about that. So if you are at or near the retire, required minimum distribution age, uh, call your CPA or give us a call or give somebody at the ADCPA a call and we'll walk you through all of that. Okay, so let's get to our topic today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I've known Roger Williamson uh, and his daughter, Nicole, who run Kent Mortgage for, oh gosh, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Um, uh, we do a lot of business with these folks. Uh, as I told you, I only work with people who are as good as it gets and Roger is as good as it gets. And, uh, you know, buying a home is the American dream, and you want to make sure that uh, you can do it and that you don't buy too big of a home. Um, we, uh, when I've done my show called Arch Golden Rules, of, you know, one of the rules is um, not buying a home uh, that's a money pit or that you can't afford. You know, we have our rules like your, your mortgage payment should be like one week's take-home pay and things like that. So, uh, today, we're going to talk to Roger about um, the whole world of, of obtaining a mortgage. We're going to talk a lot about credit because credit is so important. I've had so many doctors, they want to buy a practice, they want to buy a house, they want to buy a second home, and, and, they, and they go to the bank and the bank just says, yeah, you know, uh, this is not good and that's not good and we can't loan you the money and it breaks their heart. So, with that said, Roger Williamson, my good friend, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance. Great to be here, Art. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, thank you for calling in. So, so Roger, you, um, um, you and I have known each other a long, long time. You, you've uh, you've helped me and my wife Lynn personally. You've helped a lot of our clients, and I'm thrilled with that, with great professionalism and everything. But what I didn't know about you until we started talking is that you are an avid boater. Uh, sailor, I guess it is, and and apparently you took some time off uh, work for a while, uh, six years, I think you told me. Talk, talk about that. Well, you know, my wife and I, when we first started the company, decided that we were going to uh, work a normal work week and take time off to enjoy life. This is something that a lot of people just don't do, so we uh, we wanted to be intentional. And one of the things that I was really excited about moving to California back in 1988 was that, I, hey, there's, a, there's an ocean out there. Why don't we learn to sail? So my wife and I took sailing lessons. Uh, we got really involved with some friends on their boats, which is always a real nice thing to do because it's a lot cheaper to go on someone else's boat than it is your own. Yeah. <laughs> and so we spent, uh, we spent a bunch of years sailing with other people and had a great time doing it. Uh, kind of decided that, hey, if we got going at some point, we'd love to take a little trip on a sailboat. So we decided that uh, we would take off when the company was uh, old enough to sustain itself. And uh, my daughter came in and uh, was able to run the company. So we ended up taking six years. Actually, it was a two-year trip, but we uh, extended it just because we were having such a good time. So we spent six years sailing through the South Pacific, 
Uh, we both have over 50,000 miles of offshore sailing experience. My 100-ton Coast Guard license uh, got uh, put that together back in those days. And we had experiences that are amazing. We used to come home and work for two, three months and file taxes and uh, keep the company books up to date and stuff. But uh, basically, we spent about eight to ten months a year out on the water in the South Pacific. So, so do you get like frequent sailing miles for this? Is that how it works? Yeah, kind of. You accumulate <laughs> only for yourself. But I think what we did is we put it in the bank uh, for, uh, I-, I will call it, uh, existence in the mortgage business. In any business, there's uh, a little bit of stress. Mortgage has a tendency to fluctuate a little bit more than normal. And so there are a lot of times where you just need to relax and take a deep breath and know how to enjoy life uh, while things are not going well. Well, then doctors, please listen to what Roger just said. Take time off, enjoy life, Uh, take a two or three week vacation. Maybe don't take six years off your practice. That's probably not going to help you a whole lot. But um, unless you have a really good partner that can run the shop, um, uh, good good for you. Kudos to you, Roger. That that's 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 wonderful. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are and forming your company and working with your daughter. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I got my degree in business and finance. Actually, I majored in accounting. So when I started selling real estate for a national real estate firm back in the Chicago area, uh, did very well ran up through their organization, uh, became a senior VP. Uh, When they decided they needed someone with real estate experience to run the mortgage company, I was one of the few people that was uh, available that had a college education in finance and knew both the real estate company uh, operation as well as mortgage. So I was hired to run the East Coast mortgage operation in 11 states for four years. I left that organization at a point in time when I saw the writing on the wall when that company was uh, uh, being bought out by another firm and uh, opened my own company here in California in 1988. We specialized back then in self-employed individuals because as a loan officer, most loan officers don't know how to read a tax return, let alone present a tax return, a complicated one, especially self-employed, to uh, an underwriter, to a lender that would approve that or a mortgage loan so they could purchase a house. So many of our clients had been turned down just simply because no one knew how to package their loan. And that's how we started. Uh, We've been here 31 years. We've made it through uh, four or five recessions plus the crash in 2008 and 9. We're still uh, viable and had a great year in 2019. And uh, we're just all repeating referral, which is another issue for most companies if you don't build a client base and keep that client base, you can't survive in this. You cannot advertise your way to success. It doesn't work. No, and, and I've I've noticed, and it's that way in my business. It's that way in our wonderful dentist businesses. Is yep. uh, you take care of people first, the money will come second. And if you try and get the money first, it usually doesn't work out really well. Be, before we get it, I want to talk about credit, but I want to ask one question. Roger, so, uh, you know, if if I'm looking for a home loan, I can go walk into a bank and I can sit down with the loan officer and I can say, hey, I want to buy a house in um, uh, Tustin, California or uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And the banker will say, here's my rate sheet and fill out this paperwork and we'll put you in underwrite. So what's the difference between doing that and, and coming to somebody like you? Well, it's kind of interesting. I don't think the public really understands that about 80% of the loans done in the United States under like $700,000, I just pick a rough number there, are done by two companies, two investors, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Yep. So when you shop interest rates or when you call about interest rates, typically loans under 700 and let's say 26,000, which is the limit here in Orange County, for instance. All those loans are done by two companies. So all the interest rates, all the fees, all the guidelines, all the rules, uh, the, the credit uh, criteria, all of that is the same for everybody. There are a few exceptions. There are individual lenders that do what 
we would call portfolio lending, but it's a small percentage of the loans done in the United States. And so every quote you see is coming from the same place. Uh, it makes it sound like everybody is selling their own money and has their own rules. They don't. No, I, I, I and I know that I used to, years ago when Alan Greenspan was the chairman of the Federal Reserve, I said, you know, Alan sits in a sits in a room. He's got all the money in his room, and he just starts doling it out to different people. That's kind of how it works. But um, it's not quite that simple. So, all right, let's start talking about um, lenders evaluating people's credit because obviously, you know, we, we talk. You, I'm sure you talk to your customers. I talk to my clients about your credit is golden. You must preserve it and nurture it and treat it like a newborn baby. So how do lenders evaluate people's credit when they're looking at whether they're going to make them a loan to buy a house? It's a process that is not well understood, especially now that the Internet and especially advertising companies are out there saying, we'll give you a credit score. We'll give you, we'll run your credit, check your credit. Uh, All kinds of companies offering that for free. The problem is that there are 20 different scoring systems. 20, which means if you go to buy a car, up until a couple months ago, they were using a 1,000-point scoring system. They didn't care about uh, child support in South Carolina. All they cared about was this criteria, A, B, and C. So they set up their own scoring system for car loans. There's another system for credit card loans. There's another system for store loans. In other words, uh, companies that say, get a card at my store and we'll give you 20% off. Well, they look for different criteria. So what ends up happening is that when someone comes to us and says, uh, I ask, what is your credit score? Do you know what it is? Oh, yeah, I looked online the other day and my credit score was 755. So I have great credit. Well, maybe. The problem with the online scoring systems is they're not set up for mortgage loans. Our scoring system takes everything into account, including child support, uh, any any, uh, lawsuits pending, IRS issues, all kinds of things that show up on judgments, court cases, and liens don't make your utility payment. It will show up on there. Utilities don't report to the credit bureau unless you do something wrong. So judgments and liens are, we look at that, other other scoring systems do not. So when I get a score of 755, I may have a mortgage FICO score of 730, or I may have a FICO score of 780. There's a huge difference in the pricing of a loan with the score. So there are some thresholds you have to know if you're going to buy a home. In uh, in the high, what we call high balance areas, where the maximum loan for a normal loan, we'll call a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loan, is seven twenty six. Actually, it's seven twenty six five twenty five. It's a technical number, but that's okay. Seven twenty six. If you're going to buy a, a home and finance less than that, then it depends on your down payment. So we price loans based on your credit score, the amount of your down payment, the percentage of your down payment, the equity the lender's looking at, the higher the, the down payment, the less risk to the lender, therefore a better score or a, a better price. We look at the kind of house you buy. Believe it or not, if you buy a condo, there's different pricing than a single family home. So you have these different loan amounts. Well, Loan amount, higher the loan amount, higher risk. So if you borrow in Orange County now, for instance, in our area, money less than 510400 you get a better price. Well, if you have a large down payment, then your credit score doesn't mean as much. They, they let it go down a little bit. So we have a threshold of 740. If your credit score is over 740 and you put more than 20% down, then you would get best deal in town. If you put 30% down, would you expect to get a little better? You yeah, would, maybe. The risk, the risk is lower, so you get a little better score with 30%. Once you hit the 40% down category, you're getting best deal ever. With a 740 score and 40% down, you're going to get a killer rate. You're going to get best deal from everybody. So when we advertise interest rates, they're pretty meaningless. 
because they t- they don't take into consideration your credit score, your down payment, and the kind of house you bought. So the credit score becomes important. The lower your down payment, the more critical the score becomes. If you put less than 20% down, our threshold is 760 to get the best deal. 760 because when you put less than 20% down, we have mortgage insurance, which is required by the federal government. A lender cannot make a loan uh, without charging some kind of mortgage insurance to guarantee the investor will not lose money up to a certain point. Roger, let me jump in for a second. So I see on TV, I see in the newspapers, I see online, um, okay, uh, mortgage rates have never been lower. You can get 2.95% APR with small print that uh, I couldn't read with my magnifying glass. Right. Uh, I'm guessing that's a little misleading. Very. Why? Yeah, very misleading. Uh, Interest rates, uh, let me start out with a basic fact. Interest rates never change. Everybody thinks that rates went up yesterday or rates went down yesterday. You hear from the media, rates went down. You look at doing a refi. Rates don't change. (laughs) The fees change to Um. get that rate. So I always have 4% interest. How much do you want to pay in fees to get it? Right. So that's that, the question. That's the question. So you can, and that, that you're talking about like buying down a loan, right? Yeah. So Fannie Mae produces an interest rate of 4%, and they say at 4% today, we are not going to charge the client any fees. There won't be any points. There won't be any appraisal fee. There no escrow fee, title fees, recording fees, no fees. So today, if I want to borrow $500,000 and I put 20% down, I'm going to easily find a rate at 4% with no fees. And if I had a little higher score and I had, it was a a good day in the market, I might be able to get 3.875 or 3.75 with no fees. What changes day to day are the fees. So three days from now, I may have to charge you 4.125 to get no fees. Oh, the market changed. The interest rate at 3.75 is still available if you want to pay $8,000 in closing costs. Mm -hmm. Doesn't say that in the advertisements, by the way. Oh, no. Oh, no. Because what sells, what makes the phone ring? The rate. Interest rate. Yeah. Right. So Once I get you on the phone, then we're going to change the criteria based on the data I get from you. Okay. So, Roger, let's, that, that's great information. So, let's say uh, I send a young dentist. Um, he, he or she is married, maybe 30, 31, 32 years old. They've been working for three or four years. They're making a, you know, $150,000, $200,000 a year working as an associate. And, uh, you know, now they're ready to buy their first house. Uh, give our listeners some advice for people starting out, or even people in you know any time, any place in life, about how do you how do you make your credit as good as possible, um, and, and and what are the things they should be doing to set themselves up for success? And this is not only for buying a house, but this is buying a practice, buying equipment, uh, buying a, a car. I mean, what do they need to do? If you were advising a young man or a young woman, what, what, what should they be doing? Well, it's the problem we have on every file. We fix credit on about 30 to 40% of our clients for a wide variety of reasons. Um, even if I have perfect credit that in, on our mortgage scoring system, 850 is the perfect score. You can't attain it. But you can get into the how 810, 820, 815 number if you had perfect credit and long-time usage on credit cards, which one card I'd have had for, let's say, 10 years. The longer you have the card, the better your score will get as you use that card. You have longer-term good uh, credit uh, use the, use the card for a while. That's what we look for. So long term. So buying a, uh, getting a credit card and keeping it, number one. Number two, you do not need ever, never, ever, more
than three credit cards. So pick the three credit cards that you're going to want to use and keep those. You don't need a store card. You don't need a card that can only be used at one place. We used to call those, and we still do, predatory cards. Why? You can't use it as credit. It's only to shop in one place with a discount. If you, It makes you want to go there because, wow, I get it. If I use my credit and charge things, I, I get a discount. They almost always come back to bite you because they are not usually the best cards to have. Right. So, so, so have one card. Have one, one credit card or two or three maybe. I need two credit references, maybe three, to get a good score and to get a home loan. The old adage that you do not need credit cards in order to buy a house is um, a wives' tale. <laughs> they changed that rule many years ago. Uh, we need to have a scoring system that uses credit availability and credit on-time payment as a criteria for creating your a good risk. A car loan that has been paid off is good. It's good to have as past credit. But if you don't have any other credit, if all your credit is paid in full and no longer in use, canceled your credit cards, you will not have a credit score and you will not get a loan. I see. So you, it, it, it's a wives' tale to say, I have perfect credit, but I've never done anything. That's, that's actually bad. That, that's what I did for my two boys. When they were, um, when they were both turned 18, I got them both a, a joint a credit card. It was in my name and their name. And uh, it was a $1,000 limit. And I had them start using it to establish credit and make sure they paid it on time and, and all this stuff. And so uh, that's important. So, Roger, what are some of the biggest mistakes that people make that, that you know, they're going to go buy the home. They've already picked it out. They're planning on when they're planning to move. And and then you look at their credit and say, oh, my gosh, what have you done? What what are some of the biggest mistakes that people have made and, and, and what should they not be doing? Okay. Too many credit cards is the usually the kiss of death. Uh, we look at these credit reports and we go, oh, uh, you have a lot of credit card debt. And we have two, there's two ways of looking at that. One, they use the credit card and they pay it in full every month. Hmm. Haven't quite figured out that one yet because realize that when your credit card company cuts off the statement on June 1st, that's the number they report to the credit bureau. So let's say I owe $2,000 on a $4,000 car uh, limit. They bill me on the 15th, I pay them on the 25th, and everybody thinks, I pay my credit cards every month in full. No, you did not. What you paid was the balance that was due three weeks before. And if you're a credit card user, and you've used the card from June 1st to June 25th before you make the payment, now you have a new balance that five days later on July one gets reported to the credit bureau again. So the credit bureau never shows a zero balance unless you use the card every other month and pay it in full. Then every other month, you'll have a zero balance. Oh, my goodness. I, you, you need to go to MIT to figure this out. So what about, what about late payments? How does that affect your credit? All right. So what the computer does, there's a uh, computer scoring system that says, okay, let me look at your credit today. Ah, you've got a car loan and two credit cards. The credit cards have, oh, only 20% usage, a $1,000 limit, a $200 balance. Then they say, oh, that's really good. And you've had the cards for a while. That's a really good scoring system. Let me now go look at your late payments. If you have no late payments, your score could easily be 800 on that kind of a scenario. Low credit usage compared to the limit, uh, an old car loan with on-time payments, and credit history in the past that said no lates on previous credit. Okay, if the computer goes to the back end of the report and says, oh, look, you didn't pay your utility bill on time, or you or a AT&T uh, cell phone bill that you changed to Verizon didn't get paid and that last $20 didn't get paid now it's in collection or you made a payment late when you moved from one house to another because you did not advance 
the addresses correctly and they didn't send you the bill, you were late 30 days. The computer goes, oh, wow, it doesn't matter if you had good credit or not. We're going to drop your score 60 points, 70 points, 80 points, depending on the balance on those credit cards. So if I have 50% usage on my cards and I had one late payment at Sears a year ago, my credit score will drop over 150, 120 points. I had that happen to me about 20 years ago. Do you remember Buffums, Roger? Buffums, you and I remember Buffums. I had a balance on my credit score of $57, and Buffums had been out of business for like 10 years. And it yep. took an act of God to get that fixed. So, so yeah, this is, this is important. I want to touch on student loan debt because a lot, the vast majority of our, of our dentists have, have significant student loan debt. How does that affect this whole process of buying a house? Well, it's, it's dramatic. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of student loan gets deferred in the beginning years. Yes. Uh, depending on if you're still in school or if, you know, what, what you're making for an income. And there's a formula for that. The problem is that when you buy a house, there may be a zero payment due this month, but the lender knows in order to qualify, you're going to have this home loan for a while. And when that home loan or when that school loan kicks in, you're going to have to make the payment. So we have to impute a payment on that school loan. We call the, the administrator of the school loan. And we contact them and get what will be the payment when they are required to make the payment. So, so yes, it hurts yeah. badly. Okay, so this is this is important. So, folks, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna tell you that that what you need to do, and I'm gonna let Roger give out his contact information now and then at the end of the program, is if you're buying your first house or if you're buying a bigger house, um, you know, you you, you want to. Before you do anything, you want to give someone like Roger Williamson a call and just say, Roger, I want to go out. I want to buy, uh, you know, I live in um, Mississippi. I want to buy a $450,000 house. I've got 10% to put down. Help me. What can I do? And, and that's the best thing that you can do. So, Roger, would you be so kind as to give out your contact information to our listeners Please call Roger. I mean, you can call if you're anywhere in the country. Uh, he can help you. Go ahead and, and give out your information. Absolutely. Um, our, the, the, our phone number here at the office is Kent Mortgage Corporation. It's area code 949-756-1702. And we're also uh, kentmortgage.com. So uh, it's easy to look us up if you can't remember the number, just Kent Mortgage. Uh, easy to find our number on there. We do not use the internet. We do not use our website to apply for loans and to answer questions because email texting for the kind of questions and follow-up questions I ask is just irrelevant. We need to talk. And Art, you're right. Everybody needs to do it up front. I, I worked with a client just a month ago and he was very hesitant to give me information. We went through all the qualifying process. He would not let me run his credit. I have great credit. I have great credit. I, I ran it online. I've got great credit. When I ran his score, it was 668. And he wanted to borrow cash out refi to like $700,000. It increased the price on that loan by 1%. He was furious. And it was your fault, of course. Of course, because, well, he thought he had good credit. I'm the bad guy because I brought his credit score to him and said, do you know that you've had a real bad run-in with a creditor that has a, a, a contractor that came after you and put a horrible Me thing on your mechanics credit Mechanics lien. Goes, well, yeah. that's fraud. I go, now go fix it. Right. Can't do the loan. So credit score determines your interest rate. It determines your fees. It determines whether you can buy at 700000 or 500000 So absolutely must talk ahead of time. By the way, most people don't realize, Art, a car payment of $500 a month is not uncommon. No. it's In, in, in my world, I don't even think I have clients that have them that low. Okay. $500,000 car loan 
drops your buying power by $100,000 on a house. No, five, you said a $500 a month, Carla. I would say a $500,000 payment. Yeah. Drops your buying power because of that debt by $100,000. Wow. It, this is this is abso- absolutely, absolutely crazy. All right. Uh, again, I wish we had two or three hours to do this. We don't. Let's get into the subject, Roger, of, okay, what types of loans? I mean, you've got fixed rates. You've got variable rates. You've got, um, uh, you know, uh, 30 doing five, 30 doing seven. So I'm, a, I'm someone, I come to you, uh, again, I'm making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. My wife is, or my husband is working. And um, okay, start the process of what are the types of loans that, that we can get? And what, what do you uh, advise on these types of things? Okay, a couple easy answers to that. Because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are the dominant two lenders in the country, if the buyer in, or the loan amount that we're going to go after is under $726,525, okay, if the loan amount is under that, then the dominant lender with the best deal is going to be Fannie Mae, and it will be a 30-year fixed-rate loan. If, they, if they're able to pay more and they want to do a 25-year loan, a 27-year loan, a 23-year loan, we can make the loan any amortization we want now. Computers allow that. So I do a 30-year fixed. If I want to minimize the monthly payment and lower the payments as low as I can to maximize the ca- uh, benefit of cash flow or to qualify for the loan, 30-year fixed rate is going to be what we normally would do. Now, it gets a little more complicated. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac do not offer adjustable rate loans with a price lower than their 30-year fix. So there's no reason to ever buy one. I wouldn't think, it's especially now where you have interest rates in the high threes, uh, right. you know, no, you would be crazy to do that. No reason to buy it now. The, the time to buy an adjustable rate is when we are going into a recession. Because if we know we're going into a recession, and you talked about Greenspan, we, uh, I had uh, the opportunity to work with him. He was our financial advisor at our, the, the real estate oh. company that I worked for in Chicago for about six years. I had a chance to be in the room with him and go through the financial analysis that was being done on the economy and our local economy to see how we were going to do in the following year, a year and a half or two years. Today, we spend more time as a real estate company looking at the future to say, okay, where is this going right now? Our interest rate is going to climb over the next three or four years. If that's the case, we buy fixed rate loans, we're done. Right. But if the interest rates are going to drop, we'll look at doing adjustables. By the way, adjustables today mean I'm going to sell you a loan that is fixed for the next five years before it goes to an adjustable. I'm never really going to sell an adjustable rate loan that you keep that will adjust. We use the adjustable rate loan like a seven-year today is a very good rate on a high loan. Uh, it's like 3.625 with a 3.625 APR. Um, even though it's an adjustable rate loan, for the first seven years, it's a, a 3.625 APR. The reality is the government makes us do an APR on that loan at 3.625 at about 4% because they track the interest rate, maximum interest rate over 30 years. So it makes the APR really screwy on them. But the the point is, if you're going into a market that's going to have lower rates two or three years from now, buy the best adjustable rate loan with the lowest rate you can today that's locked in for a while, and then follow the market down and refinance two or three years from now when that rate drops. So there's a good time to buy adjustables. And there's a bad time. So, for example, let's say I have a, a dentist who just, um, you know, they've been working for two or three years or four years as an associate dentist. And now um, they're, they're going to go ahead and buy a, a house. And uh, they both have really good jobs or they both have really good practices. And we know that this is the starter house. And the plan is get into the house, get going, maybe before we start raising the family. Um, and in three or four years, you know, sock some money away and then and then buy the next house. That could be a candidate for your, your adjustable, right? So if they're not going to own the house for five, five years? It could be if the loan amount is the right loan amount. 
realize that adjustable rate loans under a certain uh, dollar figure are not any cheaper than the fixed 30-year. So one of the analysis we do with every client is say, okay, how much down payment? What's your credit score? Because the adjustable rate loans are vicious when it comes to documentation. So you've got to have really good credit to get an adjustable. It's a higher risk loan. In the, in the eyes of the government, it's a higher risk loan. I see. So you have to have better credit. You have to have reserves. You have to have more down payment typically. So yes, we'll look at them, but it probably is not going to be the first house. First time buyer, almost always 30 year fixed. Right. Okay. Now there, I know there are some special programs out for like VA and FHA. Um, do, do they apply to, to many people? Yes. Okay. So what we're finding now, especially here in California, we have a lot more veterans, Coast Guard, uh, Marines, Army, Navy. We offer a, uh, today, if you are a veteran with no money down, the interest rate would be somewhere in the mid threes APR, 3.5 APR. Okay. APR, by the way, means what is the interest rate plus the closing costs really cost you? A three and a half interest rate doesn't mean anything until you know what the closing costs are. If the closing costs are zero, then it has a 3.5 APR. The, the interest rate, the real interest rate after paying closing costs is the same as the interest rate you pay on a monthly basis. Um, for a disabled vet, zero money down today, 3.125, no closing costs, no the APR 3.125. Well, it should be that way. It should be. I mean, for, for people, for, for the wonderful, wonderful people that have served our country, it should be that they get a better Absolutely. rate. Absolutely. Yeah. And so for a veteran who is in business, and especially a veteran who is now a dentist, they're going to get the best deal they could ever imagine by talking to us. The next level of that is FHA. FHA is only used for two reasons. One, your down payment is less than 5%, and your credit score is average, not terrific. Okay. The government guarantees the lender will not lose money up to a certain point. Government, it's a government guarantee, FHA, Federal Housing Authority. So what happens is you, as a buyer, can put a low down payment with not so great credit and still buy the house today. Ah. So so the government's giving you an opportunity to, to buy a home even if the credit isn't so great. Right. Okay. To stimulate home ownership. The problem we have with FHA is it's expensive. <laughs> it is not a cheap program. So if we do a loan with someone on FHA, Two things are going to happen over the next year for you and I, or that buyer and I. We're going to work on that credit score to get it up because it's very easy to manipulate credit. Let me tell you, it's credit balances are typically the reason why people can't get a high score. They owe too much on credit cards. Right. The second reason they may have some lates in there, but as you have late payments, as they get older, they diminish their effect on the credit score. So they stay on the report for seven years, but after three or four or five years, eh, not so bad. Uh, it doesn't hurt you so much. Now, now, Roger, I've heard, I've heard that that you know, being late on anything isn't good, but being late on your home mortgage payment is uh, to, to coin a term, the kiss of death. Is is that true? Yeah, it depends on the loan. So if you have a late payment on your home and you're going to do an FHA. If you, if you had a late payment, I had one recently, they made a late payment by accident. They thought they had made it. They actually made it to the wrong company using bill pay. They got nailed for a 30 day late on their home loan and they're not allowed to do another home loan for a year. Oh my goodness. So it, it killed, it, it was one of those that killed our current refi that would have saved them a bunch of money just because we didn't have that credit report up front to tell them that. Wow. So here's an interesting question I want to throw at you. So I get this all the time from my dentist. 
Should I buy the house first or should I buy the practice? Now, when you buy a dental practice, I'm, I'm sure this is a great one. When you buy a dental practice, uh, you can buy a dental practice. And if everything works out with the lenders, because I live in this world every day of my life, uh, you can buy a 100% financing, no money down. Um, interest uh-huh. rates for dental practice, where, whereas interest rates for home loans right now, Roger, would it be fair to say mid to high threes? That's right. Okay. Um, you know, unless there's a special that one of the companies is putting on, uh, you're looking at probably 75 to 100 basis points higher. And again, give or take. But so what would be your advice? The the young dentist, if I buy the practice first and I have a $600,000 loan, is that going to hurt me to buy the house? Okay. Great question, because here's the rule. And it's a universal black and white rule. If I buy my own business and now I am, quote, self-employed, I must have owned that business for 24 months minimum and filed two tax returns on that corporation. However you set it up, C-Corp, S-Corp, whatever you do, partnership, you have to file two years of taxes and have owned the business for more than 24 months, or you can't buy a house at all. Oh, so what you're saying is, if that's the case, if you're going to buy a practice and you don't own a home, but you want to buy a home in the next year or two, buy the house first and then buy the practice, right? Yes, with a caveat. Now, here again, this is- You're you're not making this easy, Roger. You know that. No, I'm not. This is where you and I come together on that deal, because the first thing I'm going to do is send them back to you as the CPA to say, okay, you're going to buy a, a, a business here in the next 12 months. Let's buy the house today while you have a salary, which allows us to do that, right? Now we buy the house only if your CPA can guarantee me and you that you're going to make enough money in the first year of owning that business to make the payments we're going to have. I don't have to prove that to anybody, but there's why would I buy a house if I have a family income of 150000 and then buy a business that in the first year I only make seventy five. Right. So that that's important. It, it's funny. I had years ago, I had thought, that it's better to buy the practice because that's the golden goose that gives you the income. But, you know, now maybe if you're saying, listen, I'm uh, I'm renting, I want this practice, I want to build it, I really want to own, and I understand that for two years I'm not maybe going to be able to buy a house, uh, maybe that's okay, right? It's okay. It is what it is. I I don't run into that very often. Because that that before I'm able to buy, I've got a few years of working, and usually with a family, if they have a family, even single, they're out shopping for a house because they've got the income, they've got the ability to buy. Low down payment, by the way, doesn't matter. Everybody freaks out, oh, I've got to have 20%. You do not. Good credit scores and 5 or 10% down, Mortgage insurance is less than a hundred bucks on most loans. It is, right. it is such a small number. So we 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 tell people, wow, they want I want to save another ten grand, or I want to save another twenty grand, and then buy. Wrong. Your monthly payment drops four dollars and sixty seven cents per thousand in down payment. So if you Put ten thousand dollars more down, save ten grand more. Your payment drops forty seven dollars. Whoop de do. Don't mean, go to Starbucks for a month. <laughs> well, you can't get anything at Starbucks for four dollars and sixty seven cents these days. I mean, well, my forty seven a month is easy to save. But that, just that, not going to Starbucks. That's right. I want to. I want to go back and and I want. I want you to help uh, our. You know, we got a little bit of time left. I want you to help our listeners. Uh, be to, to kind of be wary. I mean, I know there are bad players in your business. There are bad players in my business. There are bad players in dentistry. There are bad players in every industry, business, profession. So if if someone go, you know, obviously, you know, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. If it walks like a duck and it acts like a duck, it's probably a duck. I mean, that that, that goes with everything in life. 
But Roger, what should be some some bells going off in someone's head if someone presents them a loan proposal that just looks way too good to be true? I mean, what should people be looking at out there if if they don't go to someone like you? If they go to, I, I mean, they go to how, uh, some company that says they do home loans. Well, here's there's two aspects to that question, and the first one is experience. A brand new CPA just out of school who gets a top quality complicated client is going to fail. Can't can't possibly represent that complicated client right out of school. Experience makes a huge difference. And so we we look at the experience level of the person they're dealing with. Are they giving them good financial advice? Are they looking at their total picture and determining what should they do, not what can they do? We, we give financial advice. Am I allowed to do that? Right on the edge. It, it's, I mean, yes, I do it because I have the experience to say, you shouldn't buy today. You should take care of your debt first. I tell you, I tell you what, there's, there's most of the loan officers out there are there to make a commission on the loan they sell, they could care less if you make the payment or not. The institution requires that you make the payment, not the loan officer. Right. So can you get the wrong product? Can you get the wrong advice? Can you get the wrong qualifying? Can you get the wrong advice based on the financial statement you bring? If you're self-employed and already own the business, much more complicated because now we don't use the tax return income art. I have to go into that tax return, the corporate return, and rebuild that uh, that that return. There are items that are written off in there in the dental industry that are not considered write-offs. So I add those write-offs to the income. I actually can increase the income that doesn't show on the bottom line. I see. But there's... There's also numbers in there that reduce the income more than they put on the bottom line taxable because we are not, we're, we're, we are allowed to penalize you for those kinds of expenses. That's not the loan officer out there that you get as a normal uh, phone call. Right. So rate is important, yeah, but you're going to find that almost everybody has the same deal. Right. For Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The money's coming from the same place. Same place. The delivery yeah. price is the same. Markup. That's going to be the difference between companies A, B, and C. Right. Are, are they going to charge you $1,000 for the appraisal as opposed to $700 for the appraisal as opposed to $400, right? It's their control. Yeah. They, and, and you don't know that. I mean, pe- people don't know, you know, uh, about that. couple more things before we, we've got to call it a, a program today. Yeah. Um, if someone's got credit problems, I mean, these, there's these credit repair companies, you pay them a fee and they will make your life better. I'm wary of that, but what, what do you do to help people fix their credit so they can get that home loan? First of all, almost all of the remaining credit repair companies Um, I would stay away from. They're not going to do anything for you. They're going to charge you fees, and you're going to find out three three months later they haven't done anything. That's my experience. Yeah, it it doesn't mean there aren't some people that get helped, but the majority don't. Credit repair is very simple. If you know someone that knows credit and how it works, so if you call us, and we go through your credit report, I guarantee you that we can tell you how to make it work or it can't be fixed without time. We are given the software that creates your credit score in mortgage. So when I run your credit report, and let's say it comes out to 685, I can look at the report, go into the into the program, run the data and say, okay, if we do this, what will the score go to? If we do this, what will the score go to? In most cases, it's credit card debt. By dropping the credit card debt down $2,000 or $1,000, in some cases $500, I did one this week, got our score up enough, I can raise scores 10, 20, 30, 40, 80 points just by manipulating the data. Yeah, I mean, now, this is manip- golden. Way, manipulating is not the right word, 
paying down debt, changing how they pay debt. Most people pay a little extra on every card. Wrong strategy. Right. There are target cards that need to be paid first, and it's not logical. Wow. All right. So last question before we have to go. Home equity lines of credit. Someone has a a mortgage. They've got some equity. They want to do a, a new bathroom, a new kitchen. They want to add on. Uh, what do we have to know about home equity lines of credit? Well, uh, again, multiple answers depending on the client. So if they're going to remodel the, the new the new tax law, you've got to help me out with this one, Yeah, says that if I borrow money on a line of credit, I must use that line of credit to improve the value of my home. I must right. spend it on my house right? or it's not, the interest is not deductible. Yeah, it has to be substantial. So to, the interest is to substantially improve um, uh, my home. I mean, and, and again, substantial improve is not defined very well in the tax code, Roger. It just isn't. Um, but if you borrow money on a home equity line of credit to buy a house, I'm sorry, to buy a boat or to, to take a vacation, that interest is no longer deductible at all. No, no, you can't use it as a down right. payment. On a- and it's not usually a lot of interest, but you know, people try and write off whatever they can. Oh. But, oh, but I have people borrowing $300,000 on a line of credit. They're going to do a major remodel. That makes sense. Right. Now, now, is that a variable or is that a fixed? They are all variables and they want a variable. And here's why. When you borrow money to repair your home or remodel your home, you are not going to spend the money day one. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna borrow a hundred thousand dollars to do a kitchen remodel and bathrooms and recarpet and repaint, I'm gonna spend a hundred thousand dollars. That money's gonna go out over the next three, four months, maybe more than that. You'll pay a little bit in deposits up front, but you won't pay the bulk of it until everything is done. With a line of credit, you it's like a credit card. If you borrow the money, you start to make the interest payments. So if I borrow all the money at once. It sits in the bank until I spend it on paying interest on it. Right. So the line of credit, even though it's at five and a half percent or five and a quarter or five and three quarters, somewhere in there is the adjustable rate today. Uh, by the way, we don't make those loans. We send you to institutions that do good, do good uh, with that. We know them all. And so if you are using a line of credit, you build out the house and you minimize the interest payment until it's completed. Once it's completed, the value of the house is up, then we can look at doing a cash-out refinance to pay off the line of credit at the high interest rate and do one loan to cover both the old loan and the new line of credit. That's typically how we would use a line of credit. Um, well, It really takes yeah. financial advice from you if they're going to use it for anything other than the house. Correct. And and usually when they're using it for other than the house, I don't get consulted because they know I'm going to scold. <laughs> no, I'm, ah. just, I'm just kidding. Roger Williamson, we, we need, we need more time. Um, you are golden. Um, I am so blessed to know you and your wonderful daughter, Nicole, who have helped me personally and many, many of my clients and Pam Chamberlain, my partner's clients, um, get the home loans and, and make it a painless uh, painless process like our dentists try and make it for their patients. One more time, give out your contact information, please. It's Kent Mortgage Corporation. The number is 949-756-1702. Thanks, Art. Fantastic. I love being with you today. La- thank you, Roger, for the information. Ladies and gentlemen, again, if you want to get a hold of me in my office in Tustin, I'm at 714-259-0505. Email me at artweederman at gmail.com. Look at all the podcasts that we published, uh, including this one. It'll be up in uh, early January of 2020. I can't believe we're in the new year already. Um, www.hmwc.cp, I'm sorry, www.hmwccpa.com. Go to the resource link, go to the podcast link, and they're all there. And if you're looking for a dental-specific CPA anywhere in the United States, go to our website, www.adcpa.org. Ladies and gentlemen, you will be so happy if you work with a dental CPA. Roger, thank you so much for your wonderful knowledge and your friendship and for 
all that you do. And, and hopefully this information has been helpful to our listeners. It's been a pleasure visiting with you all. Our, our podcast is growing exponentially. Thank you so much, so, so much. And that is it for this edition of The Art of Dental Finance. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.